Well, hello. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but um, Mary and I are going to England on Thursday. So, yeah. Yeah, so let me tell you the story of how we have come to board a plane and go to merry old England. About five years ago, this professor, reverend, named David Mayo, who taught at Ridley Hall in Cambridge, was on sabbatical and he was coming around the States looking at next generation churches. And Scum was one of the churches he stopped in and saw. He had a friend here who actually uh, uh, had business to attend to. So the three of us went out after Scum. Uh, actually, <laughs> I took him I took him to Bennigan's, a real live Irish pub. And... Um, it was a joke for me. It wasn't for them. But, you know, we got some pints. And so we're sitting around talking. And during the conversation, Reverend Dave says, Mike, would it be okay if I brought some students here sometime? And I said, sure. So the next year, uh, through email, I find out that he and several students from Ridley Hall are coming to Denver. And so we hosted them for a week. I was with them almost every day. Uh, some of the staff helped me cart them around. We, we took them to various, what I would thought were cutting-edge ministries around Denver and took them up to the mountains, those kind of things, found host homes for them to stay in. So it went pretty well. Uh, that was four years ago. Two years ago, uh, they came back, this time with more students, and Dave brought his wife, Heather, and I think we borrowed the Till's 14-passenger van, and so we took them around town and did the same kind of thing, went up in the mountains, went to Red Rocks, things like that, and had a fantastic time. If you remember correctly, Reverend Dave Mail actually spoke at Scum of the Earth a couple years ago when we were at His Love Fellowship. So if you remember him, the British guy, that was, uh, that was the dude. They're set to come back this summer, so at the end of August, beginning of September, and we're going to host them again. So I think what happened is that their British sense of noblesse oblige kicked in. In other words, like, Mike and Scum have been so nice to us, and if we keep taking advantage of their hospitality, we probably should invite them to come to England. And so, um, and so we're going. They invited us over. Um, Cherry Hills Community Church kind of got wind of this and said, Mike, we'll, we'll pay for your plane flights over there, which just blew me away. I'm going like, I'm not asking you guys to help out with this. You know, we'll make it work somehow. He goes, no, 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 it sounds like a God thing. Is it okay with you if we get involved in a God thing, Mike? I'm going, well, yeah, sure. And so... This thing has kind of evolved, and so, so since I'm coming over, uh, they've contacted InterVarsity Press, and since InterVarsity Press has a presence in the UK, because Ivy started in England, um, so they have some of the Pure Scum books shipped over there, and they've set up this little speaking tour. And so I'm going to be speaking in Oxford, in Cambridge, in London, in Hereford, in Kent, and one more place, Nottingham, you know. And, um, yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? 
So some of these places I'm speaking like two times, some places I'm speaking three times, and I am starting to freak out. Like, I'm not in charge of all this. I'm going over, I'm going like, in 12 days, I'm going to be speaking at six places, and sometimes two and three times, and this doesn't sound like a whole, like a very easy trip, you know? And then I'm thinking, well, what if I suck? You know, these Brits, they're very intelligent people, right? They're very reserved. I'm none of the above. And will it play well in England? And, and, and I'm getting concerned, and I'm, I'm worried, and I'm going, what if, I mean, and, and this, this is the terrible thing, is I'm concerned for all the wrong reasons. I'm concerned because of how I am going to come off, because I want to do well. I want them to like me. I want them to say in that wonderful British accent that I'm brilliant. And so I'm kind of paralyzed with fear. I've got these talks waiting on me in you know, different audiences. Some are going into ministry, some have been in ministry. And I've got like two talks, and I've got five talks, and they're not all done. And I've got to leave by Thursday, and I've got to do this sermon, and I've got a chapter for a book that's due this on Tuesday, and I'm just freaking out. And it's all about me. And it's not about the glory of Christ. It really is not about the glory of Christ. So if you would, please pray for me that I would go there and seek to honor the one who is sending us there at great expense to his kingdom uh, and to honor the amount of time of the people who will be there so that somehow, whatever it is that God has put into us here at Scum of the Earth, gets transmitted in the way the Lord would want it to be transmitted. I should be more concerned about the glory of God and His plans for this trip than I should be about my own personal reputation. So pray for me that I will have the right attitude about these things. Now, it's interesting that the Sunday before I leave, the passage which we're looking at in Philippians deals with this kind of dilemma almost exactly. It never fails. <laughs> if you're really trying to do a good job, you end up preaching to yourself first. So, if you've got a Bible, open up to Philippians 3, verse 1. We're continuing in this series. It'll be up on the wall to my right. The Apostle Paul begins, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, 
Now, now he starts off with this kind of interesting line talking about rejoicing in Jesus. Be happy in Jesus, right? And then he does this switch almost on a dime. And I've got to tell you this. Nowhere else in the New Testament is Paul more ticked off than he is right here in terms of his language. He gets upset like this in Galatians, but he uses language here that is meant to grab you by the throat and to shake you around. He's talking about being happy in Jesus, and then all of a sudden, he's calling people names. This is one of the few churches where we can actually talk about this. Because if I had to take... Watch out for those dogs. And then translate it into 21st century American vernacular. Because, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't transfer because dog is almost in term of endearment. Hey, dog. What's up? You know? I mean, that is kind of like how you talk to your homeboys, right? I mean, it's just... It's just a term of endearment. Or if you're trying to be funny, you call somebody, you dog, like, you know, with a smirk on your face, you know, because he's done something that's kind of just a little bit outside the box, and you're all wondering how it's going to turn out. But that's not what he's doing here. He's using one of the worst epithets possible. And this is why I'm glad this is scum of the earth. I mean, I hope the children are occupied. Oh, headphones are on. That's good. Because this is an R-rated sermon, because it's an R-rated passage. It's kind of like him calling them assholes. No, seriously. Okay, there are some people here who have never heard that word in the sermon ever. Okay, I know a lot of you are streetwise. I mean, it's like him saying, you, you assholes, watch out for those jerks. Watch out for those lame ones. Watch out for those... You got it. Those mutilators of the flesh. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about these Jewish Christians who were going around with what they thought was actually the proper thing to do. They were Jews who had come to Christ, and they thought that it was the right thing for every Gentile Christian to also begin to follow the laws of Moses. Because that's where they grew up their whole life. That's what they were taught. These are the things that bring you closer to God. And, 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 and the most significant of all of them was that the males would be circumcised. If you wanted proof that you were a son of Abraham, that you were coming into the people of God, this was the sign. You must be circumcised. I mean, the only, I mean they held it with the same reverence that we hold baptism. And they were trying to say, no, you have to be circumcised to come in. And Paul is saying, that is not true. You watch out for those 
idiots. I can't even come up with words that are that. Are that. I'm not going to try. Because Paul sees something deeper going on in the pages of the Gospels, which weren't written yet, but which were about to be written. He sees a circumcision of the heart. The thing that the nation of Israel really always longed for, that the law of God would be written inside of them as opposed to them trying to follow a bunch of rules. And he's saying, don't you dare get started on that dead-end street. Because my people have tried this for a couple thousand years, and it has not worked. Don't you dare get involved with those people. You stay away from them. Because they're going to take you away from the true faith. Verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now he's using a double entendre here. He means obviously the flesh that is being cut off. But he's also talking about the human effort that tries to reach God. It just doesn't work, is what he's trying to say. He says, although, if you want to talk about merit badges, I am the best Jewish Boy Scout there ever was, is about what he's going to say. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's saying, listen, you want to talk pedigree? You want to talk heritage? You want to talk accomplishment? I've got it way over, these jerks, these lame wads. Because I was born of the right race of people. I'm a Jew. My parents gave me a great start. They followed the law to a T. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe that gave Israel its very first king. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's not only a Hebrew in that world, but he's a Hebrew who speaks Hebrew, which all of them did not and still don't. And that was a badge of honor. He had risen above everybody else in the ranks of those trying to go up the ladder of Jewish success. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. He was one of those guys who there were like 600 and some odd extra laws that they kept so they would never break the Big Ten, you know? 600 and some laws. How far you could walk on the Sabbath and what you could eat and when and all those. He did those to a T. He was a Pharisee. And he says, you want to talk about passion for, for God? 
I was so passionate, I was killing Christians. Because I thought they were a threat to the real, true religion. And as for righteousness based on my accomplishments, he goes, you couldn't find a black mark in the book against me. And if that wasn't enough, his language now proceeds from bad to worse. Because now, he's not just grabbing him by the throat, he's throwing him on the ground and slapping him in the face saying, you listen to me. At least with the power of his words. I mean, he loved these people, he wouldn't do that. He's just trying to grab their attention. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, that, that word loss comes up three times, and the word in Greek is zimion, all right? I mean, it's, it's like worthless stuff. It's like stuff that's gone, that you don't care about. It's loss. And then he chooses a word that is going to make the church ladies cringe. And the men stop their ears. He says, look at your notes. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All right. The people from the NIV have not done us a great service in taking this word which may be the worst single word in all the New Testament, and translating it garbage. Now, Paul has used words for garbage in the past. As a matter of fact, in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13, our signature verse, he uses two other words, perfectly good words for garbage. And they are pedicathonomata, and peripsima. Pericatharmata is P-E-R-I, like peri, like a perimeter. You go around. Katharma means like you clean up. You know, cathartic kind of thing. You clean up. And what you got when you went around the ancient world and cleaned up was pretty gross. We translate it scum. Because Paul says we've become the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. Right? Those are perfectly good words if you want to talk about garbage. But garbage is not really a good translation here. A better translation might be poo-poo. No, 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 that's not good enough. That's too infantile and cute. Um, caca. Now, you know, we're getting closer with caca, but that's not quite it either. 
Um, how about shit? All right. Crap. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them shit that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If you take the word righteousness and you take the word shit, you've got a dichotomy on your hands. This is Paul at his best. Non-religious self. Painting a picture of us, for us, of what he does not want to become, nor does he want the Philippians to become people like those mutilators of the flesh. You know, it's not that Paul's accomplishments in Judaism his privileges, his pedigree. It's not that any of that was evil, all right? None of it's evil. What's evil is confidence in those kinds of things. You see, if I told you, yeah, God's got me going to England, I'm going to speak Oxford, Cambridge, all these clergy people. And that's, that's proof that God really likes me. That's a bunch of shit. That's crap. It's, it's, it's not about the thing. It's, it's how you view the thing, you see. So... If you've served on a church board for 20 years, it's poo-poo. If you were born and raised in the church, went to baptism and catechism class, it's caca. What really matters is knowing Jesus. So, as I look at this passage, um, I see uh, three lessons, basically, for us to try and become the kind of Christians the Apostle Paul wants the Philippians to become. Three lessons. The first lesson is to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard. Being happy about Jesus is a safeguard. Rejoicing in the Lord it's kind of like putting on a life vest before you go on a rafting trip down the Arkansas River. 
It, rejoicing in God, finding joy in your salvation with Jesus, is kind of like putting a helmet on when you get on your motorcycle to go across town. It's going to protect you somehow. What's it going to protect you from? I thought it was just a feeling, you know, like, oh, to be happy in Jesus, right? That's wonderful. But he's saying it's much more than just a feeling. It's a safeguard to think about how much God loves you. It's, a, it's, it's, it's protecting to, to be grateful because he has saved you from hell and from a life full of stupid decisions, well, more stupid decisions than you would make if you weren't with Jesus. That if you rejoice because of what he has done for you as opposed to what you yourself have accomplished, it's going to be really, really, really important as you go on. It's a safeguard. I think it's a safeguard against the kind of legalism that he's talking about with these Judaizers. These people who put confidence in all the things you're supposed to do. If you're happy about your relationship with Jesus, it's really hard to get holier than thou with people. If you're in love with Jesus, it's, it's a safeguard against some kind of do-it-yourself Christianity that makes everybody else around you feel like they don't quite measure up. If you're rejoicing in the Lord, you won't become legalistic. You know, I, I don't know if you remember the church lady, Dana Carvey's deal on, on Saturday Night Live from a few years back. It's on the best of Dana Carvey from SNL. I totally recommend it. Uh, but that lady has no joy of the Lord. All right? None. And, and, you know, he's not telling us to rejoice in our circumstances here. Because that's just stupid. Where is he writing this from? Prison. Who's he writing it to? Persecuted people who were dirt poor. He's saying don't rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice rather in your relationship with Christ. There is joy in the middle of suffering when you're with Jesus. And you know, there are people in this congregation, I could point them out right now, but I haven't asked permission, so I'm not going to do it. But they've gone through some terrible, or are going through some terrible suffering right now, and they're still here, and they're still loving Jesus. And that is amazing in this culture. When people are, you know, just look at the Facebook posts. People are always, you know, in the middle of their con of their of their their circumstances. And we have people who are rejoicing in the middle of, you know, life and death struggles. <laughs> That's okay. He's actually about ready to apply everything I've said so far. In the middle of your suffering, Milo. Rejoice in Jesus and your mom. So, 
Because God works through mothers. Isn't that a great thing to say on Mother's Day? Really. I'm so grateful for that. All right. You know, there's an already but not yet kind of a thing going on here. I mean, you know, like we already have some join the Lord, but we don't have all that we're going to get. Like it's, we already have it, but we could use some more. It's not quite all there yet. A.W. Tozer said, um, To have found God and still to pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. To have found God and yet still to pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in a happy experience by the children of the burning heart. That's what I want to be. I want to be a child of the burning heart. Someone who has already got it, but is not quite yet there. In the words of St. Bernard, he says the same thing like this. We taste thee, O living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls for thee to fill. There's this already but not yet thing. It's like, I'm so happy I'm with Jesus. I mean, trust me, being here in this life and these circumstances sucks, and I would like to have more, so I keep pursuing in order to have more because I want to rejoice in the Lord always. As Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said, wherever there is true grace, there is desire for more grace. If you've really tasted Jesus, you want more of the same. It's a mark of a Christian is that you want, you have joy, but you want more joy. And it keeps you going forward. So number one, rejoice in the Lord. And it's an already but not yet thing. It's not a static thing once and for all. I got Jesus. I don't need to do anything. Number two. I think Paul would tell us to quit performing. Paul's effort to embrace Christ was out of a profound dissatisfaction with his life before and even his life now. Sometimes I wonder if there's a connection in the American church between how little we pursue God and how much we're told to feel good about ourselves. There's this whole, you know, self-image kind of a shtick that's going on in grade schools on up. Um, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. And, and, and sometimes I think our problem is just the opposite. I, I know that some people are going to disagree with me on this because they're saying, Mike, people really do need to think better of themselves. And it's true. They do. I'm not talking about Mike Sayers feeling bad because he's going to look 
like an idiot to the British, you know, and my self-image is kind of balancing on my performance over there. Let's say, uh, for example, you're invited to a dinner party, and you go to the dinner party. And um, you, you get there, and then as soon as you enter the house, you realize you are dressed inappropriately. Everybody else is kind of dressed up. You're just in your T-shirt and jeans, and you thought it was going to be a casual deal, and it's not. And then you get a cup of coffee, and you stumble, and you spill it on the white carpet in the living room. You're in a group of people chatting, and you tell a joke, and it falls totally flat, like nobody laughs at all. You can't figure out which fork to use at dinner time. And then when you go to leave, you cannot remember your hostess's name. You call her by a different name, as a matter of fact. Now, you go home from that party, and you have a pretty low self-image, right? <laughs> but I'm not talking about that kind of thing. What I'm talking about is when you mess up, what's more offended, your own pride or the glory of God? People who are depressed and immobilized and angry because their behavior has injured the glory of God are very, very rare, says John Piper. But people who are depressed and immobilized and angry because their behavior has prevented them from having a reputation of being cool and competent are very, very common. When I'm talking to you about not performing I am talking about not performing for God. So I'm, I'm asking, develop a dissatisfaction with your spiritual life. This is a rare thing. Be people who have a hall of shame in the back of their heads that you can refer to so that you know that you're a sinner saved by grace, so that you can rejoice in the Lord. So it's not about your performance, it's about the grace of God. I'm asking you to feel worse because you possess so little of Christ. Let's feel bad about the right things. Let's quit performing for God. Because here's the good news. He knows you're a lame wad, and he loves you anyway. You don't need to perform for him. Now, that's on an individual level, quit performing. But let's talk about, for a minute, a corporate level. Let's quit performing as a church. Let's quit trying to gain God's approval by what we do as a church. Maybe you've heard me say this before, don't major in the minors, rather let's major in the majors. 
In other words, let's not let distinctives become more important than the fundamentals. There is a denomination of church across this country that does not believe it's proper to have instruments in the house of worship. Everything's got to be a cappella. I don't care. That's the way you want to worship. Go ahead and worship that way. It doesn't matter. But when you start making that more important than the essentials, when you begin majoring in the minors, you got a problem. And right here in Denver several years ago, this is what happened. A pastor in town went on a mission trip with people from his church. They were doing good things. Somebody was videotaping this mission trip. They had a night outside where they had guitars and they sang songs. And then he made the mistake, the pastor did, of showing that film in the church. Because then, all of a sudden, by way of the video, you have guitars in the church. And people got all upset. And that guy was fired. You're thinking, that's crazy. We would never do something like that here at Scum of the Earth. Yes, we could. At Scum of the Earth, we're more prone to say something like this. Do you want to feel close to God? Well, you're really not doing it right. Unless you take up some kind of cause for social injustice. You know, homelessness, world hunger, sex trafficking. You're not doing it right unless you get on board with the Coney 2012 campaign. You're not really doing it right with God if you don't recycle. You drive a Hummer and you call yourself a Christian? Get on your bicycle. It's good for your heart. It's good for your body. It saves energy. Your carbon footprint becomes a little bit smaller. And I think maybe we would say it's nigh impossible to be a Christian and work for a corporation called Halliburton. As a body, we have to major in the majors and minor in the minors and quit putting some kind of performance anxiety upon new believers. Thank you. <laughs> what do you say? What do you say? <laughs> yeah, dog. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. We need to strive to gain Christ, and that's the last point I want to make. We need to strive to gain Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them shit, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We need to go after Christ. The evidence of being converted is that you begin to try to gain more of Christ. You go after him. You become those kinds of people that Jesus talks about who, who sell everything they have to go and buy the field wherein lies the pearl of great price. We must go hard after Christ because Nachu means that we really honestly don't want to know him and he is worth that kind of effort. The reward for knowing Christ like that, it's, it's our joy. And it's his honor. Paul prays for us in Ephesians 3 that we may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. There is so much more of Christ that is yet to be known by us individually and us as a church. And we need to go hard after Jesus to gain more of him. I remember as a young man meeting a certain young lady who then moved away to go to graduate school. And I wanted to know her more. And I wrote to her every single day. And I hitched a ride with neighbors to go and find out more about her. Hundreds of miles away in this little cornfield in Indiana called Purdue University. You know, when, when there's a teacher you really like, don't you want to take all the classes that that teacher has to offer? Right? When you, you want to get more of what that teacher has to offer. You see, that's the way it ought to be with our relationship to Jesus, is that we get a little bit, we want a lot more. This is almost like the first point, but it's slightly different. I want to end here. Now... It's been a difficult 12 months here at Scum of the Earth for me. If you recall what happened 12 months ago. And, you know, we've gone through, you know, personnel changes, and we've gone through um, people who have left to go all over the place. And uh, we had the whole building program and, and trying to raise money for that. And then... Uh, you know, the hassles with the city in the middle of everything. Um, you know, it's been a difficult 12 months. But, even though I am tired and sometimes sad, I have never, ever lost my love relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the reason I go on. You know, it's been 12 years with Scum of the Earth. I could have quit several times during the last 12 months, but it's because my relationship with Jesus 
because I love him and trust him that I go on. I told this story a few months ago, but I'm going to highlight one little part of my uh, departure from Corona Press when I was asked to resign. Terribly difficult time for me. You know, a mortgage, you know, four little mouths to feed. Well, they weren't so little back then, even even then. But um, not knowing, you know, what was going to happen to me financially uh, once uh, the paycheck stopped coming from the church. I uh, had a couple offers to go other places, and um, and yet I felt like God was telling me to stay in Denver and keep working with uh, the folks from the Five Iron Frenzy Bible Study. And uh, I remember, I remember um, Joyce Sawyer, uh, the counselor and poet who lives here in Denver, came into my office one day, and and she sat to, down and she looked at me and she says, Mike, someday. You're going to see this whole thing as God's kiss on your forehead. I was a great kid. I got kissed on the forehead thousands of times. I knew what that felt like. And being fired felt nothing like that. And, and, and I was nice to her, but I thought she was just crazy. I'll tell you what. These last 12 years, as difficult as they've been, God has taken me on a journey where I had to quit performing, where He'd give me enough joy to start the process, and then the longing to know him kept on and kept on and kept on. It's been a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous time. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I want to end by reading this passage out of the message. I can find it in my notes. It'll be the last page I come on. I know that. And it is. Listen to this. Just close your eyes and listen to Paul's letter as translated by Eugene Peterson. Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. And that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. I don't mind repeating what I've written in earlier letters, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again Better safe than sorry. So here goes. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances, knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. You know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. 
The very credentials these people are waving around is something special I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ, yes. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Lord, let it be so with us. In Jesus' name, amen.